Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The outer running reminds me of the inner running. We are each human being is running uh, eternally along eternity's road. We as a soul, as a spirit, we have been running in the beginning of our creation. When I paint, when I write, when I sing or do weightlifting, I always feel that it is he who is acting in and through me. I am not pushing myself forward, only I am trying to become a soulful instrument of his That was a beautiful clip from uh, Sri Chinmoy uh, kind of talking about his experience running. Over the course of his life, spiritual teacher Sri Chinmoy emphasized the connection between meditation, the arts, and athletics. He inspired many to push themselves both in their inner and outer pursuits and created the self-transcendence 3,100-mile race, an annual 52-day ultramarathon in New York City that was uh, conceived to test the bound of the spiritual and physical limits. I mean, we can dive into that, but um, where this is all heading is uh, it kind of encapsules. Um, this is from a running chat post uh, with Sri Chinmoy speaking on the latest collaboration that running champ did with uh, with Ryan Wilms mm-hmm. um, called "Run and Become." Uh, it's it's a really cool collection. Um, where Ryan and Raining Champ kind of came up with this trail road running collection um, where they created this kind of beautiful beautiful fusion of movement and meditation with this logo that represents the balance between the mind and the heart, Um, kind of talking on how in our culture we often find ourselves stuck in our heads, disconnected from our bodies, unable to listen, to become, to find your bliss. So they, this collaboration was all about working to regain this balance and apart the path of the well-being and creating a journey of movement and meditation. So good. Cool, hey? Yeah, and it is, I mean, not only is it 
beautiful in the sense of all that it encompasses and all that you've just described, but aesthetically, it is very beautiful. You've got the sweater on right now. I'm wearing it right now. It's, it's my new favorite hoodie. I know. It's, it looks like a hoodie that you would just never want to take off. Yeah. Yeah. Got to wash it every now and then, but otherwise, uh, it's yeah. been my go-to. Just the live in. Yeah. Run and become. Find your bliss. Run and become. So I don't know if you guys have seen the movie. How oh, it's it by Sanjay? Let me see if I can find it. Is it, it the 3100? Yes. Yeah. Self, self-transcendence like that. 3,100 mile race around like a block or a few blocks in New York. New York. Sanjay Raywal, I think, is the the producer, director of that movie. And it's just wild. They go on this like, yeah, 3,100 mile ultra marathon where they just run in a circle seeking transcendence. And it's such an eclectic, interesting bunch of runners. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And he focuses on kind of some of these other meditative running practices around the world from these these monks in Japan to uh, some indigenous people here in North America um, to some hunter and gatherers in Africa. It's, it's an incredible movie. Yeah. Anyways, back to <laughs> this week's guest. Yes. Ryan Wilms. Ryan Wilms responsible for this amazing capsule we've been talking about with Rainy Champ and yep. what we've heard. But yeah, it was really, really cool to have a chat with him over Zoom and uh, kind of just like mine the depths of his well. Yeah, so he's um, the creative director, founder of Into the Well, which is a creative agency, a podcast uh, focusing on movement, mindfulness, emotion, soul, and the tools we we can use to kind of um, sphere all those things together. So his kind of line is living authentically by balancing the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual for sustainable well-being, sharing tools for healing, harmony, and connection to self and other. It's kind of like uh, what we all need, you know? Yeah, it is. It's bringing, it's like the counter, it's like the counterweight to all of life that, seems to be ever increasing in its busyness, its rapidity, the overwhelming state of our news feeds, right? Both (laughs) televised and the ones that we hold in our hand and scroll. But having this outlet of like intention, movement, mindfulness, like slowing down, paying attention is kind of this like just counterweight to everything else that's ramping up constantly in our lives. And without it, I know like I feel like things are spiraling and spinning out of control. And it's those, those moments of grounding, whether it be on a run or a quiet few moments in the morning, like having that moment of just kind of sitting with myself, right? Like that is what is so needed. And he really, he really embodies this, I think in his work, which is cool to see too. And yeah, he shares shares about some of his own practices with us, and yeah, he truly does. Ryan Ryan for me is hugely inspiring. I feel like he's on a, a path of self actualization and and seeking um, kind of spiritual growth, mm-hmm. spiritual development, and connecting that with the physical, with the movement, and uh, it it is kind of the modern hero's journey in a lot of ways. Yeah, spiritual, physical evolution of of the human human experience. 
Yeah. Especially, yes, very much so. And like, we're all people, you know, who are looking for these lessons and moments to, to grow and experience. And oftentimes many of us have like all of the basic necessities of life met. And so we can feel like we need to contend for mm-hmm. something of value. And that can often be like that inner work, mm-hmm. right? That we, we understand that most of our, most of our daily needs are met. And then some, right? If we're living in North America and are able to be, you know, relatively comfortable, but there is that desire within us for something more. Mm-hmm. And it is that, that journey inward um, that really, you know, recognizing that, that having a life of wellness will like give you that roadmap to like freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's all we've got in the end is ourselves and, as an observer, I can say that Ryan has truly invested in him himself and his in, in his own work and his inner work and his inner development. And we're so quick to invest in, you know, a new pair of shoes or a fancy car or, you know, things that might make us feel better on the surface. Mm-hmm. But if, if you follow Ryan's journey into the well, uh, you can see that he is invested, you know, emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially into his own self inner work, his, his, his own development as a, as a person and a journey to become the best version of himself. And yeah. I, I think it's, uh, it's truly inspiring because that's all we've got. Yeah. And it's ourselves and we want to be happy with the person that, you know, we are. Yeah. And then using that in service, like providing resources and yes. even even his podcast into the well and his coaching and everything like turning turning that work that inner work into work that can be shared and mm-hmm. help to facilitate others do the same mm-hmm. right is like really a beautiful thing to see it's one thing to work on yourself and never look outside yes but for him it's like recognizing no i i haven't arrived like he would probably be the first to admit it but to know that you know what someone else might be able to benefit from the Mm -hmm. steps that i've already taken to get to where i am now and to want to be able to share that to elevate someone else's experiences really well done. kind of a bit of a lighthouse for creating healthy communities totally yes very much so all right should we uh let it roll yeah let's do it all right ryan wilms everyone all right, all right. We're uh, we're here on the uh, the Zoomiverse, the Zoomiverse with uh, uh, coastal friend here, Ryan Wilms, former Vancouverite, current uh, Californian. Uh, thanks for thanks for taking the time to sit down with us, Ryan. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So, just rewinding things back. Uh, I mean, we first connected uh, in Vancouver when you had inventory and. Uh, you know, we did some events, uh, did some run events at the Juice Track. Uh, what was it called? Uh, the the Dark Night or uh, a Nice Night? <laughs> nice Night. It was a yeah. dark. Night. A nice night. It was a dark night. <laughs> <laughs> we worked on some juice together and worked with Tight Club. Uh, and funny enough, Katie's your Californian neighbor now, which is which is wild to see. You guys are all immigrating like uh, south, getting away from this this uh, monsoon weather we're having. Yeah, you know, like I do miss BC, I miss Vancouver and the island, but then I always am like, but the winters are so dark and cloudy and rainy. And it's, I'm definitely conditioned to the California winters now. 
Nice, nice. Is California home now, or do you ever see yourself coming back up this way? Uh, I mean, I never say like, you know, forever, but we're looking at houses here um, and, and like I'm engaged. And so yeah. it's home for now, for sure. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I see, you know, following on Strava, I see, you know, it always like says the weather or whatever. I'm like, damn, like Ryan's runs and bike rides are a lot nicer than mine right now. So I yeah. See, I, see I mean, it's honestly, it's a blessing to wake up and be like, not worry about the weather. Like I can just ride or go for a run pretty much every day and never have to worry about that. And I remember like living in Vancouver, like I couldn't wear half the pairs of shoes I wanted to yeah. most of the time because they would, they would just get ruined by the rain and like the slush and all that stuff. So yeah, it's funny. I remember it, but I don't miss that part of it. Tina, you know, should we head, uh, head to California? That sounds good, huh? Tell me, man. California always sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> You got room for two more there, Ryan? What's your what's yeah. your situation like? <laughs> You're looking at it right now. Nice. Okay, it's cramped in here, but uh, hopefully we'll be in a new spot soon and have some space. Nice, nice. Well, just just yeah, taking it back, like when we first met, um, you were kind of uh, this voice. You held space uh, in the fashion world through inventory, um, kind of curating. Um, you know, from my perspective, like a, a very cool lens of uh, fashion, both from the, the creative side and the product side uh, and the community side. Uh, but you've kind of evolved this um, to where you are now with Into the Well, um, where I see you as this kind of this peaceful warrior, this mindful athlete that's like on this this journey of like kind of the hero's journey, you know, like you're, you're continually investing in your, your own growth and your self-development and you're, you're sharing that with everybody through Into the Well and your podcast. And uh, Dean and I have definitely benefited from what you've been doing. Like we both listen to your podcast and, and, you know, tune into your website and read your articles and have drawn inspiration from it. So uh, just curious, like how have you always been on the spiritual journey or, or, I mean, I guess we're all on our own spiritual journey, but was this something that you were seeking uh, while you were part of inventory or is this something that happened after? I would say it definitely happened after. Well, I think, you know, to your point, we're all on a spiritual journey of some sort. I just didn't know it (laughs) until probably like 2017, I guess. And it was through kind of just burning myself out, you know, working like crazy. And I had always been an athlete playing sports, basketball, soccer, getting into running. And so I was kind of burning myself on that end and then burning myself on the work end and just kind of getting to a place where I was feeling kind of depressed and isolating myself. I was in New York at that point. And, you know, I knew things were sort of crumbling. It felt like, especially physically, and um, I was like, well, no, like, supplements that I have found is going to fix this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I guess I need to, like, look under the hood, you know, like, what's going on emotionally? And I felt like I needed to leave New York and quit the work I was doing, at least take a break to, to give myself the space to do that. And so it was over some months then of like diving into different therapy and workshops and starting with plant medicines. I had a health coach and my first therapist and, you know, out of a place of desperation, really. Um, And then over the sort of months and years, realizing 
how much more is going on uh, and in the spiritual, emotional landscape and journey. And so I really had no idea before. I never had read anything. I was, it was not part of my upbringing, not part of my life, not from like a religious standpoint or any other sort of spiritual knowledge or awareness. So, you know, it was completely new to me, which I think in some ways was good because there was less bias going into it and I felt open to it. But at the same time, I was like, why didn't anyone tell me about this? <laughs> so were there any books or, or individuals or uh, documentaries that kind of like triggered this, uh, this journey of self-discovery? Or was it just a matter of you, like your body physically, emotionally uh, being like ready to uh, evolve and grow and like find a deeper, deeper meaning? Yeah, I think like originally it was just like that state of desperation, like I'll do anything, you know, I went to Thailand and did a 10 day Vipassana, hoping that would cure me. <laughs> and I never meditated before. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was awakening and very insightful. And I've learned a lot from that process, even over the last few years. But, um, you know, it was like, diving into something and then you kind of fall off. And then I, I learned like the transcendental meditation and that seemed to help for a bit. And then um, eventually when I was really like, okay, I'm going to, you know, look at this as more holistically, I guess, you know, and I, I hired my friend John Hunter as my health coach. And um, he put me in touch with this guy, PT Mistelberger, who's actually lives in Vancouver and he founded this men's organization, men's group organization that has been called the Samurai Brotherhood, but it's just transitioning into call, being called the Arca Brotherhood. And so he was my first therapist and, and he got me to read No More Mr. Nice Guy. And that was really the first book that I read that really started to show me what the unconscious can do. And so it's like, oh my goodness, all these patterns and ways that I've been trying to navigate the world that, you know, for some degree have helped me and have benefited me, but aren't working anymore. And so it was like the beginning of the deconstruction of who I thought I was, I guess. But even at that point, honestly, I didn't think I was, I wasn't even aware that I had this identity, right? It was just, I just was my identity. So right. that was like the meditation was the first kind of step to be like, oh, I, this is who I think I am. And this is how I think I need to act to preserve this or to further myself. So first there was like separation of myself and my identity and then understanding and deconstructing that. And that's just been an ongoing process. Right, right, right. You continually observe the observer, right? And then it just keeps going. Yeah. Oh, wait, there's a myth. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, so many layers to it. It's like shocking, continually shocking to be like, this is in here too, and this is over here. And I didn't even, you know, I have no idea, you know, when I dove into this practice or these, you know, experiences, like where I would be at now and things I'd be looking at. So mm. once you kind of start down the path, I don't think you can really get off of it. <laughs> you can try to distract yourself or you can maybe go at different paces, but you know, once you're aware, self-aware to some level, it's pretty tough to, to turn that off. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing. Like, I, I think you're a very like driven person. You've got goals and achievements 
and in some ways like we can we can almost stack up like our spiritual life in that fashion like i can just keep going and like get to the next level and get to the next level but the reality is is that it's often like a stripping back and like a coming coming back to ourselves in like a more simplistic way and understanding that you know no matter how much effort we put into it like there is no there is no end goal like it's the whole journey itself i don't know if that's something that you resonate with or struggle with as someone who is like more hey let's put the target right like i know you're training 70.3 like that's the goal and yes the journey is the process but like the goal is to to do the thing right but with our spiritual development it kind of just keeps going yeah no it definitely resonates with me and as much as i can you know day by day be in the moment and in the journey as best as i can it's only been recently in the last couple of months that i've really actually had more clarity around how much my spiritual journey has been driven by that sort of left brain doing versus right brain being expressing being open and just being like receptive uh in that energy and you know it kind of like knocked me back a bit just to be like oh my god like yeah, I can see now, like I've just been, you know, my, the therapist I work with now is like, she talks about using the hammer and bringing the hammer to everything. And it's like, I'm really working at putting the hammer down and being, and just being more curious and open, but that is really challenging for me. And a lot of people that I come across because our, you know, the way we're conditioned in our culture is just do accomplish you know, move the goalposts every time you hit whatever target you're going after and, you know, do it faster, make more and just do more and you'll be happier and better. But it's just, it's a bottomless pit. Yeah, it's the myth. And the fact that we can like <clears throat> kind of uh, make spiritual disciplines and practices like a kind of a checklist, like I'll do this, I'll master this and do this. It, it's even like, it eliminates that process of, of purely, like you said, being in the, in the right brain where you're just like, you're being and you're experiencing it. Not so that you can say, okay, I've done that. I've, I've checked that one off. And that's so often, I mean, that's scaffolding, right? Like that's so often how we get there is we need that kind of practice of like, I will achieve these things and do these things. But to truly sit into it is to like let go of the attachment of like I'll complete it or I'll get whatever I'll get out of it and just simply be with it and in it and be with ourselves in that. Uh, I, I feel you too. It's, it's a struggle. Yeah, it's funny. I'm just thinking right now of like, um, you know, I use a variety of meditation apps, but like uh, I've been using Insight Timer and I'm at like 42 days, you know, consecutive. And I'm like, do I need to just not do it for a day? Cause I don't want to be attached to this, like doing meditation. Right. It's just, it's not about that, <laughs> but it's taken me like this five years of journey, which in the grand scheme of things, isn't that big amount of time, but the way that I do really like go hundred percent into whatever I'm doing, like I've really thrown myself at this like spiritual journey and done a reasonable, a fair amount in a, five-year period but it's taken until now to be like okay that isn't working anymore like it works because it, you know you create those habits you, you need a little bit of that hammer to 
you know, bring the discipline to start a meditative practice, to change your diet, to start exercising, to, you know, whatever it is, you know, to overcome that resistance and make those changes. But then it does get to a point where it's like, okay, the hammer needs to get put down and it's time for the other energy to be, you know, just be. Mm. Can, can you talk about um, one thing I'm curious about that you touched on is like the left brain versus the right brain, the being versus doing. Uh, can you can you kind of dive into that a little bit deeper for us to kind of further understand the, the differences of, of left brain versus right brain and the being versus doing? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, I don't know, like the depths of it. But from my understanding, like, left brain would be sort of like intellectual, analytical, um, you know, it's the sort of ego seat of our mind that's trying to figure things out, stay safe, accomplish, you know, the to-do lists, all that stuff. And, and the right brain is a little bit more of like, you know, expression, uh, heartfelt, if, you know, potentially playing music and dancing. And it's that sort of being, uh, you know, and I think like you need that involved um it's more like maybe artistic open like if you had the left brain was the masculine the right brain would be more feminine more receptive more fluid i guess in that sense and you know we just aren't connected to that like our hearts and our bodies and that generally speaking you know it's um like for instance in our education like we're taught how to spell how to do math like as soon as we possibly could Whereas like in a Waldorf school, you don't do any of that stuff until like years later. It's all about art, creativity, you know, engaging with others, play, uh, expressing yourself and, and feeling safe in doing that and kind of getting who are you a little bit more than like, oh, I need to do this so that my mom loves me. <laughs> and like that just spirals into this like, you know, intellectual sort of left brain cage that we put ourselves in. Mm -hmm. I feel yeah, um, yeah. I I think like that's uh, I, I resonate with that uh, in a big way. Having gone to like art school and then um, kind of turning that into like uh, launching a business. So going from like my right brain and then trying to like convey it to like left brain to like launch a business, but then still trying to like lead a business in like a creative way when business structures built around kind of like metrics and you know capitalistic like um measurements and like all of these things that are, are very left brain so it, it, it is a dance for myself like trying to merge the two and um you know it's an ongoing process of of trying to figure out um what side kind of serves myself in the community at, at which time, but uh, it's good to like be aware of the left and right side and the tendencies that they, they might bring up. Um, one other thing that um, you kind of brought up there is just like being on this journey for, for over five years now. And uh, in the background, uh, you know, I see your, your bookshelf and, and uh, I know you're an avid reader and podcast listener and audiobook listener. Um, you know, being the student and taking in a lot of information, uh, especially, you know, consistently like you have, have been doing, uh, how do you, how, how do you personally embody um, all of these teachings that you're taking in and make them part of your own practice? Uh, it's a good question and it's challenging, 
you know, like there's been times where I feel like I'm just drinking from a fire hose, you know, and it's just like, yeah. how much of this am I actually integrating or, you know, bringing in? And I think, you know, with some of the, the big books, I guess, that have made impacts for me, like No More Mr. Nice Guy or The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer or his other book, The Surrender Experiment, reading them again and going back to them again. Um, and it kind of like is a refresher and a reminder. But, you know, I guess for me, like meditation really is like such a foundational part of what I view as like a healthy, well-balanced life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's just like a really powerful place to integrate learnings and teachings. And, and you know, I just... I can be stubborn, you know, and I don't like to be told that I'm wrong um, and things like that. But I also try to be open enough to learn, you know, and if somebody tells me something or I read something or I listen to something and it's like feels challenging, just trying to be like, oh, maybe there's something else here, you know, like just be kind of curious and a aware that something kind of bumps up against something within me that makes me uncomfortable. And I don't know, I guess I'm just, and I, and I am curious. I've always, you know, just liked content learning, I guess, and, and finding a cadence as well. Like I find if if it's just like all books about like trauma, you know, it gets heavy. (laughs) So, you know, mixing that up with a book that's maybe a little bit more sports or performance, or we talked about um, James Nestor's breathe book. Like that's like, you know, lighter in a sense that it's like, Oh, okay. I can implement a couple of these things. This is great to be aware of, but I'm not like, Oh my God, all my childhood trauma is stored in my body here. What am I going to do? And then read another book about that. And, you know, you can kind of like drag yourself down if you get too deeply buried. So I think like a diverse, like a dynamic, mix of content is helps as well to like inspire you get awareness learn you know and then and then some of the books and things are well how do you integrate that so there's like guidance as well that's that's always the challenge is like integrating all of these teachings and, and making them a part of our, our actual lifestyle for me it's always just about consistency like if i want something to be uh integrated i just have to like show up and do it and it might not like I've like fallen out of a traditional meditation practice, but when I was was following it, it was just like the 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 reward of it came through consistency. It wasn't like if I sat down once and meditated once, I was gonna like find enlightenment or any like inner inner peace or knowledge. But if I like showed up every day, I mean, I get what you're saying about like if you do it, you know, you're 42 days in with your tracker now, like becoming obsessed with the metrics, but I, I do find like consistency for myself is where the reward is. Um, have you, have you found that in your own practice as well? That consistency is like one of the keys to getting to the, the deeper meaning of any of these uh, ventures? I think for sure. I think for everything, pretty much, you know, if you want to like be healthier, you got to be consistent with your diet. If you want to run better, you got to be consistent with your running yoga, strength training, whatever it is, uh, meditation, 
um, <laughs> saving money, like, yeah. you know, all these things. And, you know, we're going to have all sorts of weird blocks to a variety of them. And, and also knowing like, it's going to take time. Like for me, I went to that Vipassana and then I probably didn't meditate for five months. And then I took the TM course and then I maybe was on that for a few months. And then, you know, you go on a trip and you lose that habit and you come back and it's like picking it up again. And, and eventually it's just like stuck. And now it's just a part of every day of my life. But I think being gentle with ourselves as well with like that journey, it's like, it is about consistency, but it's like the long game of consistency, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you're not doing it at all, then doing it once a week is more consistent than it was. But if you like build that up to every day or whatever it is, you know, it really is about that journey. And, but consistency is key, I think, to especially like foundational mm-hmm. things, eating, being aware of your breath, uh, meditating, even like therapy, you know, all these things. Like I think it, consistency is so vital yeah. and it gives you such a foundation for a deep dive or something else as well, or when something in life comes along and then knocks you off, you know, if you've got that foundation of these consistent routines and practices, you just are more grounded. Yeah. I I think we're like so spoiled in our current moment where we have like unlimited on-ramps to this stuff, whether it is like through, through one of the many really, really good apps that will help us, you know, with, with the meditation practice or a breathwork practice, or even like yoga and fitness is available through our smartphones now or through YouTube. Like there's almost no excuse. And there are so many entry points for people that it's incredible. But one of the things that I know, like I've even been guilty of is we use those on-ramps or entry points as the thing. Right. And we, we want to you. We want to find the hack. Like, what is the thing that I can do in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort to like maximize benefit? And part of that is just like our human condition, and also a, ref- a reflection of the the current state of things in this world we're in. Um, but like, it's that journey element, right? Which is, in some ways, like it's a bit of a trope, but it's true. Like, you, it has to be a process, and it has to be a journey. And consistency is the thing that keeps us there. But I wonder, you know, you've talked a little bit about like the the um, retreat that you did, the Vipassana retreat, and you know, a few other with the transcend, transcendental meditation. But what was kind of like the biggest maybe on ramp or entry point for you to feel like this is this is like a practice that I think I can sustain and stick with? Yeah. That's a good question. I think, I think like with the transcendental meditation, that was like my first real introduction to consistent meditation specifically, um, because it really is about 20 minutes, two times a day. And so that was the first time I really did it. And actually I did it for a couple months and I felt noticeably better. Like I was pretty, I was in a dark, dark, depressive place, not like as bad as some people might feel, but after a few months of that, I felt better. And so that was like, that stuck with me. I was like, okay, doing this consistently helps. And so it's just been a remembering to come back to that and try to apply that to everything else. Um, but it's challenging, you know? Um, and, and for me, I guess 
a big part of my journey has been, you know, working with plant medicines and going on some retreats. The first retreat that I went on after the Vipassana was actually at a place, I can't remember if it's on Galliano Island or Gabriola Island, but it's called The Haven. And it was a five-day uh, program called Come Alive. And that was really, really powerful and really cracked me open. And it was, it's all group work. There's some breath work, sharing and different exercises. And I think that was like somewhat of an awakening. Um, and then it was a month after that, that I did my first retreat with ayahuasca as well. And they told me on that, like the real work happens when you go home. Mm. And that stuck, has stuck with me over these years where it's like, you know, and that speaks to, to the consistency piece, I think, where it's like, you can go have these like incredible heart opening peak experiences, but if you don't commit to sort of the integration, the processing daily, weekly, whatever your sort of pace is, you know, that stuff is going to kind of leak away or um, kind of, you know, disappear a little bit. So that was like, that's my biggest reminder of like, you know, the real work happens when you go home and it's like a reminder to just like a little bit each day. And, uh, you know, Paul Check has been one of my big mentors and I worked with him as a coach for a while. And uh, I took some courses at the Czech Institute. And one of the things he often drills home is just like aim for 1% every day, you know, like what can you do 1% every day? And that's attainable. That's, within grasp you know and that might, that's going to be also different day to day uh might be a 20 minute walk or maybe a 20 kilometer run you know but bringing awareness to that and, and consciously choosing that with that sort of intention um that makes the consistency you know a little bit more doable as well you know because i think it can be overwhelming like if you haven't meditated like what is this you know or if i'm not a runner then running 5k seems so far like how can I do that and you know it's breaking it down into that that one percent makes things feel a little bit more okay I could do that one percent a day is doable yeah and that carries you through in the long the long haul right because it's mm -hmm. not it doesn't feel like there's this big overwhelm up front and yeah that's yeah. Well, that's a good bit of wisdom Ryan with your with your running and your athletics like um one way that I see you uh, is kind of this like modern athlete, this like uh, spiritual athlete um, fusing like spirituality and movement and like we're around the same age and like growing up, I felt like like sports was like what we now see as this like toxic masculinity. Like it was very like man up, like, like there weren't feelings attached to it. It was just like show up, do the job, play hard. Um, it kind of had this like, old school uh, um, kind of warrior toughen up kind of attitude. Uh, but I, I, that's where I kind of see you as this like modern man where you've fused uh, masculinity uh, in, the, in, in the traditional sense with uh, spirituality and movement. And I'm just curious, like how has movement and athletics become a spiritual practice for you? I think, you know, growing up, I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. And those were like 
what I did and played them pretty seriously, I guess, for the most part, especially baseball and basketball. Um, and there definitely was that sort of masculine, you know, it's just like misguided, immature masculinity that's like really in our culture. And, and it goes both ways, you know, it can be this like real soft, nice guy that's almost like masculinity is bad. So I'm going to bury that. Or it's the sort of over macho, you know, bully sort of expression. And I do feel lucky because I didn't get a lot of bullying in that space. You know, like I think that that potential is out there and a lot of people do experience that. So for me, sports actually growing up, I felt like there's challenging like emotional dynamics for sure, for sure. But the, I got a lot out of the teamwork, you know, becoming a leader and being confident in that role. Um, but, you know, I was completely unaware of any of this stuff while this was happening and unfolding. And so now it's, it's, you know, I think anything really can be a spiritual practice if you bring that intention to it. So nowadays it's interesting. I like almost all the sports I do are, are by myself, you know, running and all the training I'm doing triathlons right now wise. And I really miss the group dynamic um, because I feel like there can be such a powerful, like bonding support, sharing, collaboration you know you can push one another but also like hold one another when you're in you know a moment of i don't know feeling down or or you're bonking or whatever it is and so for me i guess the awareness is more around you know am i do i have energy for this do i need to take it easy do i need can i go harder today um, whereas before I would have just been like, I'm tired, but I got to run, you know, I'm like either anxious or there's a run on my workout schedule. So I'm going to slam another coffee and go get it done, you know? And now it's more like, you know what? I would be, the best thing I can do <laughs> is just be here and rest. And so listening to my body in that way is, has become more of the spiritual practice, I would say like for my day-to-day -day experience now. But I would love to sort of infuse more into the sport realm. Um, like I mentioned, I'm a part of this men's group. And, you know, it's about sharing and vulnerability and, like, what are we afraid of and where are our shadows or where are, like, our blind spots. And, and then, you know, things like breath work and mindfulness, um, how can we take that and bring that to sports, you know? So my experience is that just makes it so much richer. And, and something like really simple I've been doing is like mid run or mid ride. If I'm in the park and it's just like stop and take off my shoes and just stand barefoot in the grass and like touch a tree and see if I can like feel the like electricity and feel that. And it's so counterintuitive because I'm like, you know, keeping up a pace and I'm trying to get home so I can eat something. And so it's like, no, just stop and like, you know, feel this grass and the sun. And when I can do that, I feel so like energized and fulfilled and, and the sense of sort of proudness of myself for doing that as well, because it's really hard to do that. Mm. It's kind of a rebellion against the left brain there, like taking that yeah. for 
for yourself um because i get attached to that too like if i'm on a run i've got like my strava on or my garmin going and i'm like seeing my pace and how far i've gone and like you know i'm not stopping until i get to the end point wherever um and that's kind of letting the the destination dictate um dictate the process instead of the journey and if we lead with journey there's like so much to experience along the way like there's so many beautiful things to stop and be aware of and um i think that's i think uh, you know i i can take lesson from you there to like kind of detach from those metrics and and just be present um i do find with with my runs though like there's a certain point where like running goes from like movement to meditation um do you do you find that with your like your own personal like movement practices as well i do yeah i mean it's a it's a mix like since getting into triathlon, like swimming is really challenging. I, I was never like trained as a swimmer. So, you know, I can play dock tag at the lake in the summer, but when it comes to like swimming, like a swimmer, it's like a whole new game for me. So technique and the breathing and I'm like, you know, going so slow, like 10 year olds are just flying past me and you don't have music in the pool. You don't really have the other distractions. So that's been a really powerful pit place to like practice some gratitude in the moment and just remind myself like wow I get to just come to this pool that's outdoors in December January you know it's perfect temperature I don't have a kid I have to take care of I don't have an office I have to be in I get to do this and reminding myself I get to do this right now um I find that very helpful I find on the bike you know if you're climbing or going down a big hill like that's I'm much more in the zone there you know mm -hmm. and with running it's interesting because I find unless like if I'm doing intervals or something like that I've noticed like today I did a at a 52 minute run with five five minute um repeats and like sort of 80 percent so going reasonably hard for that those intervals and like I'm not thinking about anything <laughs> like you're just like oh my gosh how much further how much further and then you're just catching your breath and then going again and I in hindsight I was like well I didn't think about anything for those 50 minutes I don't think you know and I think that there's something beautiful in that but if I'm on a long slow run like there's so much opportunity to think about everything I'm not doing or doing too much of so there's a balance there and it's just that's when those breaks are just like all right like, look at these trees, look at this grass. That's like a, a nice, like reset opportunity. Mm. That's, that's where the activity can serve you beyond training, right? Like it's not just a training run or whatever it is, but it becomes something more holistic. And I know, you know, a lot of us who are into athletic pursuits, right? Especially these kind of more solo pursuits. It is something that we like really enjoy doing you start running maybe for fitness or whatever, but then it like captures you and it, you know, you go from something that like you kind of said like, Oh, I have to go out and run for fitness to now it's like, Oh no, I have, like, I have to go do this because I want to. And it like fills me up and it serves us in a way beyond just fitness, but yeah, taking, uh, taking time and paying attention to those moments that we can grab to go beyond just like what is, what is on the Strava and like, what are my splits, but to really live into the moment of, being embodied and feeling the grass on our feet or like the, the bark of the tree on our hands or noticing, like you said, the beautiful day or the, 
warmth of the sun, whatever it might be, is so powerful. When you try, sorry, I was just going to say, like, when I'm on a run specifically, I really try because you have the time and more like awareness of the environment, or at least you have the opportunity for that. I really try to like thank the trees, you know, for making oxygen, thank my body for being able to run, thank my lungs, thank my knees for being healed up from ACL tears enough that I can run. Like I'm not running as great as I would want as swiftly or fast and, you know, feeling as fluid as I would love or maybe have in the past, but I'm healthy enough that I get to run and the trees around me are making the air and the sky is, you know, there's not smog everywhere today. So, you know, just being grateful for those things. And, and um, like at times I've gotten quite into yoga and been regular with that practice. It's been harder lately, but like, I love the moment of Shavasana at the end of class. So that's kind of what I try to bring to the, when you're like standing or lying in the grass after like some intervals or maybe halfway through a run, because you're in this state where you're just like clear, you've kind of like, clear the decks and then you can just lie there and just feel Mm. and just you know it's hard to turn off thoughts all the time but just to like be in that state where you can just feel your pulse feel the your heart pounding feel the grass and the warmth and it's sort of it's like using that sort of shavasana experience um with cycling or running or whatever it is you're doing that i think can be really profound because you know the yoga class is basically just getting you ready for that and it's similar with breath work it's just kind of getting you ready for this it's just creating enough space for you to just be in it in that moment and so using running and these sort of movement practices to have that experience it brings like another dynamic to it that's i find really enriching yeah that's so good i always love comparing the the shavasana like it's the end it's the end of the journey and i just remember one time laying there being like this after a particularly hard class being like this is like training on how to die like to do the work and to be present and to show up and then like at the end you have this like just like rest this reprieve and it's made so much more beautiful and worth it because of like all the work that has been done. Like you can go lay on the floor after coming in coming home from work or turn off the TV that you've been watching for an hour and lay down on the floor in like a Shavasana pose. And it does not feel the way it feels after you've put that effort in, but I've never thought about it after like a run or anything. That's, I like that. Yeah. Well, so what's interesting, I think about that idea too, is like, there's a sort of this, you know, going back to the left brain approach is like, you earn that rest. Mm. But what if you didn't have to earn it? You know, like I've wanted to, I haven't done this, but I've wanted to do it for a couple of years is go to yoga class and just lie in Shavasana the whole time. Mm. You know, so there's no, you know, I'm going to work hard so I can have that rest. And I feel like sometimes with the stopping in the middle of a run, there's a little bit of that too, where it's like, it's not waiting till the end to have that. It's just like, no, I'm just going to be in it right now. Like, I don't have to earn it. I don't have to do anything to get it. I just have to surrender and die right now. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. It takes away, yeah, it, well, it, it takes away the attachment of it. Like, now, exactly, I've earned this. I've done what I need to do to require, my to give myself permission to rest or to 
to relax or whatever, but to just say, no, I'm taking it because I deserve it regardless is, I like it. That's yeah, I'm, I'm already picturing us on our next run. Dean's my running buddy, Ryan, so we do do a lot a lot of our runs together. Just I'm picturing us on our next run, just like lying on the grass, like the middle of Houston somewhere, being like, all right, this is our resting spot. This is where we're going to lay, lay our heads to uh, take a break. But it does happen it. sometimes, right? Like, especially when you run. I know, Ryan, you'd be familiar with, like, Pacific Spirit Park here, too, like out by UBC. Like, you run through there, and sometimes you just, like, you have to stop because you're figuring out, like, where you go to which trail or whatever, or even if you're on trails in the North Shore. And you kind of have this moment where, you know, I, like, I literally will say it out loud. It's like, man, look at where we live. Or, like, look at where we get to do this, right? And it's just that kind of, it creates that awe within you of, it's just so joy-filled. And had you just been like, oh, we turn left here, and you just, like, keep running and turn, like, maybe you miss that opportunity to just soak it in right but totally. you're intentional about that i think is a good practice to to bring yeah it's so powerful and it can just be for a few seconds just mm-hmm. to be like like you said you know and like you know what like it might make that one split a little bit slower but you know that's the other thing i like i find sometimes funny with like the watch and splits or you know i like my watch battery died you know but i'm like my body doesn't care. It's still getting to adapt, like adapting to this the run. Like it doesn't care if this is tracked or not. Yeah. And just remembering that too, like, and sort of feed yourself additionally from like the fitness and the run, but with the gratitude for the trees and the air and like you know, Vancouver is just like so beautiful. And I used to run around Stanley Park. You know, it's like 10k around there, and I didn't. I wasn't aware enough at the time. Like uh, sometimes I'd be like, wow, this is the best 10 K in the world maybe. But I didn't stop and just be like, Oh my God, the air is so salty. And like, I can just hear seagulls and waves. That's it. And like really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. One of, one of the, um, the guests you had early on in your podcast, uh, I found was transformative for my own running was, um, Dr. Mike uh, Spino or Spino, Spino, how do I say it? It's Spino. Uh, Spino yeah. with his beyond jogging and just like setting that intention before I go on a run. Um, I, I found uh, for me like the, that gave me permission to, to make uh, running like a spiritual practice, uh, kind of listening to his approach. And um, I just wanted to hear like, having t- spoken to somebody that was like so influential in um, bringing the spiritual to the movement. Um, how, how did somebody like that uh, transform your own approach to, to your movement? Yeah, I think, you know, just bringing more awareness to like what can be a part of that journey or that experience. And I have to say thanks to the district vision guys, cause they put me in touch with him and, you know, they've really been sort of taking his teachings and, and sharing like an evolution of that. And yeah, it's, you know, it's like, it's just the things we're talking about, you know, just being aware and like, you know, thanking the trees and our bodies and um, just being in that experience and not like thinking about your to-do list that you've got to do when you get home and just being like feeling your breathing, feeling your heart rate. Um, yeah. And I think that it's really cool that he's, 
you know, was doing that in the seventies. And then again, it's like, why didn't somebody tell me about this? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what I often keep coming back to as like, there's just been this beautiful wisdom amongst human beings for so long. And I don't know why it's just like not shared. It's not, you know, a priority. It's not, you know, there's not a lot you can sell, I guess, out of it. But, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, it's like, yeah, the, the meme of, you know, enjoying the journey, not the end. is like a thousand percent true. As cliche as it is, like all of these cliche sayings are like so true on such a deep level. And we just kind of have to be in the right place to hear it in our hearts rather than just like in our minds. Like, yeah, I know. For sure. For sure. <clears throat> yeah, there's a difference between knowing something like in our head and knowing something like experientially or how we might say like in our heart right and i've heard it said before it's like the 18 inch journey sometimes of like the knowledge from here to like here and that's the hardest journey to to take right is moving that moving that knowing from head knowledge to like heart knowledge or heart knowing yeah i agree i mean it's the, the, the longest spiritual journey um but, uh, you know, and I don't know if this is a place to get into this, but that's where psychedelics, I think, can be incredibly powerful and helpful in terms of, you know, that journey from intellectually knowing to an embodied being and knowing. Um, yeah, my experience has been, it's been really helpful uh, in that. Well, let's get into it. Let's uh, <laughs> your, your psychedelic journey and how that's like informed your embodied experience of the human the human uh, existence yeah well like growing up i had never really used drugs like recreationally very much like a little bit of marijuana but not not ever a huge drinker not ever like using hard drugs so um you know this idea of like it being a drug is like one thing and and coming to it as a medicine as a plant medicine you know, that was just completely new. I never heard of ayahuasca, I've heard of mushrooms, never heard of DMT, uh, or, you know, these other sort of psychedelic plant medicines that there are. Um, so again, like to start off with, I was just desperate, you know, I was just like, I'll try anything. Like a friend of mine had been working with it for about two years and I was fully trusting him. And so he introduced me to this community and I was like, okay, like, let's do it. And um, it's just been, um, you know, it, it's it's hard to explain for sure. <laughs> but like, if we're living in 3D, it's like a 10D experience, like 10 dimensions all at once. You know, you can be traveling the universe or you can be in a singular cell of your body, <laughs> like, the experience is so varied, um, but the potential there, you know, in that sort of ceremonial setting with people that are really in integrity, bringing these like prayers and music and the vibrations of that um, mixed with this medicine and how it works with the body and bringing like a clear intention into that space as well, um, you know, it can just be profound in terms of seeing what you couldn't see, like exploring the unconscious uh, you know, deep beliefs, things that we have repressed over the years that we were just unwilling to to look at. Um, you know, Michael Singer has this quote that um, 
the mind is where the soul goes to hide from the heart. And mm -hmm. so, so much of this journey is coming back to the heart and the body and the truth of that rather than this kind of warped idea of reality that our minds project. And so it's just offering a lot of clarity from that warped perspective that a lot of us sort of live in, whether we know it or not, or, you know, some people's are extremely warped and some people's are more balanced. And um, so, you know, the, the process of therapy, for instance, is like you're talking, you're explaining your experience, that person maybe is pointing out things and you're like, oh yeah, I do think that. And I learned that from my parents and now I see that. And, and then how do you embody that? You know, and that could be a year just on like one sort of deep unconscious belief. Whereas in a ayahuasca ceremony, for instance, you could learn that belief forgive yourself or someone and have a complete somatic release and embodied shift of like, you know, loving yourself or whatever. It can be like as big as that. And so, you know, the ability to learn something you had no idea that was in you and then, so then you know it, but then to embody that change of belief um, in a night or a couple of nights you know, and that's why I think some people say like an ayahuasca ceremony can be 10 years of therapy in a night sort of thing. And sometimes that can really heal like that thing forever. But again, it comes back to like, okay, now you got to do the work, you know, when you go home, how are you going to act? Are you going to be aware of that behavior? Because it's going to, you're going to have that programming system still running in you. So you need to make the changes to shift that. Um, there's a great metaphor, I think it's in Michael Pollan's book, where he talks about, like on a ski hill, when you get off the chairlift, there's like a route, a rut that like everyone turns right and you go there and then you get onto that run, right? So that's like our unconscious belief, basically. And so doing, having a psychedelic experience can be like having a big, fresh snowfall. So you come off the top of the chairlift and you can go anywhere. You're still underneath that snow, there's going to be like a pattern to go in that one way. And if you don't choose something else, you're going to get back in that rut. But for that period of time, you know, especially fresh off of it, you have the opportunity to choose a different path and create a new, a new way of behaving and believing essentially. So, so do you find the, the plant medicine and the psychedelics really show you what's, what's possible? Like they're kind of like a medium to show you, uh, what you can do, um, and there's there can be methods to achieve this without the plant medicine. But it, it, the plant medicine is kind of acting as a, a teacher to show us what what is possible for for ourselves. Yeah, I would say that's 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 accurate. You know, I think you can absolutely accomplish all this stuff with like a variety of incredible therapeutic methods with breath work, meditating somatic experiences you know things like acupuncture can contribute as well sports can be part of it um so it, there's definitely not one road that you need to take but i do feel from my experience that like psychedelics are a highway on that journey um or like in, when you're in the airport when there's the conveyor belt you know you can walk on that rather than just walk on the normal ground uh and you'll just learn a little bit more a little bit faster um, and it can show you, like, I've had experiences where it's like my future, my future self and like the man that I really want to be or know that I am, 
um, you know, and, and somewhat of a path towards that or exposed how I really feel about someone in my life or things that I've been thinking or believing, but not haven't been aware of, you know, and it can also be like really dark and troubling and, you know, things like shame, mm-hmm. anger, uh, sadness and grief, like these things where it's all, I almost envision it as like going into the cellar or the basement versus like traveling the cosmos of like all that is love in the universe, which is, you know, beautiful and awesome. <laughs> it's so funny that I, I've done ayahuasca once, as mentioned to you, this to you before we started recording, but there when I was 21 with my cousin and, and um, in Cusco and um, in Peru. And um, I had a, a really, a real healing experience um, that, you know, for the majority of the trip was quite dark and heavy and scary and frightful. And, but it released a lot for me. And I, by the time I kind of came back to my body, I felt, I felt a major release. And um, when we were kind of like coming back to an embodied experience, I look over to my cousin and I was like, man, like hell was such a scary place. That was so dark. And I was like screaming and all the stuff. And he looks at me and he's like, man, you went to hell. Like I was just like, astro traveling the whole time and like going to lakes and mountains and i was like what the fuck like that was your experience like i was literally scared for my life for like six hours or however long it was um but i did feel that like lightness by the end like i i it was a beautiful experience that i would i definitely be open to doing it again um i mean that was like 15 or 16 years ago now so i've I've grown and developed and you know my my journey's changed a lot so, you know, you've done it, I think you mentioned like 30, 30 sometimes, like, have you found in each additional ceremony, like that process, like further evolves? Um, what's it like having it as part of your, your regular um, kind of routine of, of self-development? Yeah, um, I, you know, I find like both experiences I've had, you know, the hell and the heaven i guess it's been yeah. more hell recently i would have to say yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah you know it's 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 so funny and i just i each time i'm in it i also like try to you know be present with like i'm in this room with these shaman chanting these like who knows how old peruvian ikaros with 15 people and like everyone is just completely having their own experience. And then you come back the next night and everyone's experience is completely different. And like the uniqueness of that night, like ceremony to ceremony and person to person is just, it's, it's pure magic. I feel like, um, you know, to some degree. So for me, yeah, it's been, uh, I've often done it like either a couple nights or four nights. Um, or I've also done a couple, three times in a row. I, three summers in a row, I did something called the isolation diet. So it's like, um, you're sitting basically in the forest by yourself. You do a ceremony on the first night and then you drink like a secondary teacher plant. And then you go back to your tent and you're just fasting by yourself for four days, four nights. And then they bring you a little bit of food. And then you come back the sixth night and drink ayahuasca again. And the seventh night they close this diet. And so that has been like really, really deep in terms of um, the process, uh, the work with the ayahuasca 
And when you're in that sort of fasted state and you're alone, you know, you're in a deep sort of meditative state, your dreams are really talking to you a lot. And that, that's another way that you can really do a lot of deep personal work and healing and creating awareness is just with your dreams. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, I was using it probably like every six to 10 months, I would go and sit for a few nights or do this week long experience and, and then really kind of go home and be like, ah, oh, I love like so open-hearted and then like something would happen and I'm like, ah, you know, it's like, just try and stay a bit more open and, yeah. um, integrate and process and, you know, meditate and work with therapists and all these things to really try and embody that. And I feel like I'll come home with like 10, you know, epic lessons and I'll probably work through three or four of them if I'm doing well. And then, you know, life continues and tension builds and it's like, you're really bumping up against like some other sort of deep belief or relationship issue or something. And I find the tension builds and then, you know, maybe that's time to go and, and, and work with the medicine again. Because for me, it can really help kind of like blast through or process in those really intense moments um, and it's been really helpful every time it's it's helped me it's always unexpected sometimes it's terrifying the whole time and then at the end you're like oh my god that was amazing it's so beautiful and I feel so good <laughs> but like 90% of it was just like a total terrifying nightmare <laughs> so have you ever achieved that state of mind through your breath work or your meditation without plant medicine um so only recently with breath work um and so like holotropic breath work is really like the the type of breath work you would use to have some sort of psychedelic type experience and that can be like 20 30 minutes up until two hours of breathing and it's really just like a cyclical in and out in and out relatively deep breaths um and then you know it's it varies from just like a can be like a somatic release, but actually just as of the last week, I've had a couple experiences where that has taken me into, it's very similar to like doing a DMT experience because it's near, beyond your body in a way. And the sense of it is just like this deep relaxation. You know, something I've realized um, with this breath work practice and also the last time I, I worked with TMT, it was just like how much tension my body is holding and that I was completely unaware of. And so I've really been trying to just go into it with like a curiosity and be like, I'm like, whatever I'm ready to release, I'll release. And so with ayahuasca, like going back to the sort of left brain spiritual journey i've realized you know in that state a lot of the time you can really be like figuring it out and connecting the dots and like do a lot of journaling and and that can be really beneficial and helpful but it can prevent you from surrendering and letting go and so i'm kind of like moving into this other space where i'm trying not to figure it out as much and just be with as much as i can be with and and the breath work i think is really powerful because you go into it, you start breathing and basically 10 times out of 10, it's like, I want to stop. I don't want to do this. 
because I don't know what's going to come up, right? And so it's just like in and out, in and out. Just breathe, go with the music, and eventually you just get into a rhythm, and then you kind of get to a point where you let go, and it just becomes whatever comes up, you know? It might be, you might be sobbing, or you might be laughing and smiling, and and just kind of surrendering to that, you know, which I still find scary, actually. Recently, it's been like, I've realized how scared I am to truly let go and surrender. And it, it kind of makes me sad, actually, a little bit. Um, the amount of fear that I carry, you know, mentally and in my body. Um, and it's like, wow, it's taken me five years to just realize that. <laughs> so, I mean, this is probably a general question, but what are, what are you scared of? What are the fears that you're hanging on to? Well, I think like ultimately a big fear is unknown. And, you know, Dean, you mentioned like death, you know, dying. Like that is probably like the apex fear for pretty much every human. And, um, you know, along the way we pick up tons of things like, okay, not being loved, not being seen, maybe not having a successful business, not performing at work well enough or performing in a race well enough. And then, people aren't going to like me if I don't do that or you know that is just perpetuated massively I think I mean I think of Instagram where it's like the optimal place to showcase your perfect life and so if you don't meet up to the standard of everyone else's perfect life then you're not going to be accepted by the tribe be it your family or your partner or your friends and peers and so you know I've, I've been really trying to figure out like my new inventory you know what's my next business and I'm realizing how fearful of failure I am and, and things like that. And I mean, so I think starting a business is a great place to explore your fears, relationship. Um, you know, I've been with, with my partner, Natalie, for just over three years now, and we got engaged a little over a year ago, but like that commitment was terrifying to me, you know? And, um, so there's, there's a lot of like real practical fears and then there's like more existential unknown fears like i mentioned i've been kind of diving into like racism as a white man and white fragility and and then also like capitalism and this sort of social structures that we have and i'm like you know i'm pretty angry about it and i feel upset about it and i intellectually want to change but for us to really change we have to sacrifice something we have to give up something. We have to give up part of ourselves, part of our convenient, nice lives. I'm not even sure what it is I'm, I have to give up, but I'm realizing like I'm going to have to like sacrifice for the changes and in, in life that I really want. Mm -hmm. And intellectually, it's like, well, why wouldn't I sacrifice these things that I'm clinging on, these like scraps I'm clinging on to, to be the person and live the life I truly want in my heart? knows is for, for me but my mind and ego is just like the, um, those scraps are so familiar i love them like that's what i have it's what i know and like what would i be without them and uh, and so that that tension i feel building within me as well mm -hmm. yeah it's so interesting how much fear like can drive us or even control us right to do something or to not do something and it is a primal 
response. Like we have it built into us to stay alive, but in our world where we're pretty, for the most part, safe and comfortable and like our, our, <laughs> our needs are met in the Maslow's hierarchy of, of we're usually like chilling at the top most of the time. And it's so intriguing that we have these big fears, right? And it, all of us do. And I think that sometimes what we miss is like how great of a teacher fear is and like, or perhaps like a mirror that helps us look within ourselves or look in ourselves and, and we can not go further down, like with more curiosity and more inquiry to say like, why, why do I have this fear or where is this coming from? Um, but rather we just like, we don't, we don't want to face it because it's something that, that causes us discomfort and anxiety and stress, but to, you know, in the right ways and perhaps, yeah, like through, through breath work or through, it could even be through meditation or therapy or for sure, you know, psychedelics, we, ex, we open ourselves up to those. And I think that we can see how useful fear can be for us to like grow, right? Like we kind of live at that growth edge and it should be discomfort. It should be something that like causes us to like, ooh, like catch our breath a little bit, but can you think of ways that like you, not, not necessarily like fears that you've overcome, but like, is that something that resonates with you where you could say, oh man, this was like a fear, but then kind of like walking through it now, I've like not necessarily mastered it, but like I see now that I've, I've grown past it or moved, moved in a new direction as a result of like facing that or coming to terms with that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, starting inventory, there was definitely at that point in my life, there was a mix of like naivety and fear. Mm. But I think like, that's a good fear because it's like, you're doing something that's risky. You know, it's risky. People are telling you maybe you shouldn't do it. Um, so it's like a good gut check. And I think in that sense, it's like, no, but I'm going to do it. I have to do it. And so that almost like allows you to have more of the conviction in your choice to overcome that and, and be committed to it in a way that you maybe don't have to be if it's like a really easy barrier to entry. Um, so I think like, you know, there's healthy fears like that, but I think like it's all the unconscious fears that our culture has like cultivated within us and, and, you know, and now it's COVID is like the most terrifying thing, you know, ever. <laughs> and it's, and it's like, you can see how it's been used to manipulate people um, in a much more explicit way. Whereas most of the time it's like more of an implicit experience, I think. And it can be like my mom saying like, Oh, don't run that far. That's, that's dangerous. Like, you know, there's sharks in the water. Don't go swimming in the water. Like there's, there are roads dangerous, whatever it is, you know, it's just like. Get hit by a car. Right. I mean, and it's like, myself i'm like yeah but i could get hit by a coconut you know more likely than i'm going to get eaten by a shark yeah and be like so i'm not afraid but it's like it's been drilled into me so much that i am afraid <laughs> i don't want to get eaten by a shark <laughs> and like that's like irrational to think that's going to happen unless i'm like looking for sharks and like trying to make that happen for the most part yeah. so you know it's like that times a hundred things you know, whether, you know, in our lives, our careers, financially, relationships, uh, running a marathon, like anything. Um, Gordon, just kind of shifting things up a little bit here, just from listening to some of your podcasts, reading some of your posts, 
um, some of the, the things that you've worked on that uh, I'm curious about that I haven't done, done this work myself. Can you kind of like teach us about the your inner child work and, and shadow work? Um, those were kind of like some some terms that I've, I've heard, but I haven't explored myself. So I was, I was just kind of hoping that you could like unpack them a little bit for us so that uh, maybe we can start our own journey and unpacking our own inner child work and our own shadow work. Sure. So the inner child work I have found to be so powerful and kind of necessary as well, actually, for like really deep core healing and growth. And um, I'm trying to think about how to like open this up, but <laughs> Uh, so there's a type of therapy called IFS, which is internal family systems. And it's pretty complex, but essentially what they talk about is how within all of us, we've basically got different parts. And so each of these parts is kind of like a fragmented piece of ourselves. And, um, you know, I think inner child is is one of the most like prevalent parts, I guess, that we can work with. And for me, my experience has been, you know, through meditation, mainly actually, and therapy, and then aided by the psychedelics is like coming into contact with these parts of ourselves. And so if we are going through something, and let's say we're 10 years old, and it's just like too much, right? And back to that Michael Singer quote, it's like our soul can't it's too much to be in our hearts. So we have to like escape to our minds and justify our way around it. We can't be, we can't cry. We can't be emotional, whatever that is. That part of ourselves kind of has to fragment and get like compartmentalized. So there's like a 10 year old part of myself that isn't seen, isn't able to develop and is kind of like shoved in a closet for lack of a better metaphor. And so inner child work is essentially reconnecting with that part of ourselves and, and coming to that 10-year-old boy within me and being and like, you know, listening to him. What does he need? What has he been missing? Um, just like I'm here now and sort of like parenting that part of ourselves, essentially. And you can, oh, there's a lot of like visualization usually in that. So it could be just hugging it, hugging him telling him like, I'm here, I'm with you, I see you, you're safe now. A lot of that is like pretty common with inner child work. And, and for me, it's like, I've, there's been like a 10 year old self and there's like a 16 year old self and there's a two year old self. And there's like all of these different parts at different ages that need different things, but weren't, they weren't provided at that time. And so now it's like the opportunity to come back and and those parts might like so my experience the first time i really like encountered this was like a 10 to 12 year old part of myself and when he sort of came forward he was just like so happy to be seen he's like oh my god like you can see me you know and then i was like yeah i'm here but aren't you mad that i've been like just ignoring you and and um he was mad, but at first he was just happy to be seen. So then it's like, oh, now he's mad that I didn't see him. And then there's a sadness as well. Like, oh my God, this part of myself that has just been ignored for 
26 years, you know, it's just been suffering in the darkness and that part of ourselves often acts out, um, in shadow behavior. Um, so, you know, as a 10 year old, 12 year old coming home from school, like I didn't want to have to deal with stress or homework. So I would just like eat a bag of chips or a bunch of cookies and watch TV. And that was like a way to soothe myself. And so as an adult, if things get too stressful or hectic, like that behavior will show up and I'll like go to food to soothe myself or TV to like distract myself because I can't handle what's going on. And that's often like that little boy part of myself acting out like this is too much for me. And that's the only way it can communicate to me until I've like, as an adult gone in and been like, what do you really need? You know, a hug, a hand on my heart, just telling myself like, I'm here to listen to you and be with you. And then that behavior that has been coming out starts to dissipate and fade away. And that's a journey too, because sometimes it's like, you know, why do I, eat dessert every night or why do I eat this one food like a, let's just say a pint of ice cream like whenever I'm stressed and I want to get healthy I want to be fit and like I'm trying to like do a triathlon but I keep doing this behavior that I just can't seem to stop and making that connection with my inner child starts to like heal that wound that's resulting in this like shadow behavior that I don't want essentially and, you know, a process in that sometimes is like, once you're aware of it, you're still going to have that pattern. And so sometimes it's like, okay, this is what's happening. I'm going to let 10-year-old Ryan eat a pint of ice cream. And, and that's okay. And that's better than mindlessly just like slamming a pint of ice cream and then being pissed off at myself about it the rest of the night and the next day. Um, but then as you sort of heal that, you become more gentle with this part of yourself, that behavior kind of just fades away and, and you feel lighter. And, and anytime these parts of ourselves are like in the shadow or holding on, like that takes so much more energy and life force energy than it does to just let go of. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I find that experience really interesting too, is like, you know, to the, to these fears, like it's more anxiety causing to not look at them and deal with them often than it is to actually deal with them. You know, like we probably have all had the experience of like, yeah, this person did something to me and I'm pissed off about it. And you tell like 10 people about it and you think about it, but you never say anything to them about it. And it's like, you've just like clung on to all this, like, bad energy within your body rather than just honestly telling that person how you feel about what happened and letting it all go. Okay, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I was just like picturing you going for a run with like your 10 year old self while you're, uh, <laughs> while you're like sharing this, like chatting with 10 year old Ryan being like, you remember that time that like mom said this and then like, yeah. you know, hang on to it for 25 years. Um, that's cool. I, I feel like that's something that I need to dig into myself. So I appreciate you sharing that. Ryan, with the, with that family systems work, is that something you've done like with, with a therapist? Is that something you've kind of like come through through your own readings? Uh, it's fascinating. I wonder like if you could just point us in a direction of like, kind of where, where did you land with that or, or find it? So interestingly, I've, 
Um, so there's a guy, uh, Richard Schwartz. Um, he kind of founded the process and he's got a book called No Bad Parts. And you can also hear him on uh, some different podcasts. He's recently on Aubrey Marcus's podcast and they actually go through a little session together leading Aubrey to connect with a part of himself. And uh, so that's like a great example of it. And um, I learned actually from listening to him that often when people are working with psychedelics, you actually naturally start working with yourself in that way. Mm. And so, you know, not to say again, everyone needs to do psychedelics, but like it complements the meditative practice and the meditation practice complements that. And then, and then my therapist that I work with, she also uses some techniques like that too. Um, but yeah, I think Richard Swartz, you either listen to some of his podcast episodes or his book, No Bad Parts, is a great place to understand and learn about that. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's good. I've, I've looked into family systems stuff, not necessarily like inner child work, but conflict between family members, right? Yeah. And so often the conflict is something that has happened in the past or even interestingly enough, like generationally, and how those those issues or problems or conflicts will be carried forward like into the next generation and so there's not even that sense of like going back within yourself to those like kind of internal memories that maybe we've lost or forgotten or haven't sat with or worked through but to say there's even a layer where we can peel back and say like at an intergenerational level there's trauma and you know uh hurt or whatever there might be conflict that is in us that has come from our parents or their parents and so yeah it's it's important hard work for sure and and i agree i mean i've i've worked with mark wollen who works in that sort of inherited family trauma space and he's really interesting and he's got a really good book as well called didn't start with you oh yeah uh, um, but yeah, definitely. And, and so by doing this work, we're also doing it for our families and for, you know, more than just ourselves as well. Like if we're able to heal these things and, and change the, some of these patterns, you know, I think sometimes it can be like, oh, this inner work is, is selfish and it is to some degree and it can obviously get out of whack, but it's also for our families, for our communities, for our children uh you know it's it's part of this like collective consciousness that we're healing when we're doing it as well yeah yeah and i think it's selfish if it sticks just with you but usually what happens is it emanates out from us and it, it mm-hmm. has this like effect of of helping others right so we can live in service to others because we've done this work whereas mm-hmm. if we haven't we often can't benefit others anyway so yeah, at first, uh, on appearances, maybe it looks like, oh, you just care, you just care about yourself and try to better yourself. But it's like, yeah, but for what purpose is is yeah. right to to help others and to be in service to others is huge. Yeah, and I and I think that that's a good question to ask yourself if you're on this journey. Is like, well, why am I doing this? You know, who am I doing this for? You know, I think your children is probably a huge inspiration if you have kids or hoping to have kids. You know, I feel like really lucky that I've gotten to do all of this work so far before I've had a kid. Mm. But yeah. And I see like, that's where the real power comes because that just ripples out in like a more exponential way. 
100%. So I've got a few more lofty questions that like might summarize a lot of this. So you're on this path and we like talk about the process over the journey. Um, but like, what's, what is, what is your mission? Like, what are you ultimately seeking? I know you've, you've talked about like identifying your mission individually. Uh, I was wondering if you could touch on like, on what you're, what you're, you're searching for. I identify as a seeker and I don't, I don't know what I'm, I'm necessarily seeking other than that I want to continue to improve and to learn. Um, but yeah, I was wondering if, if you could kind of touch on what your mission is and, and what this path continues to look like for you. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's constantly evolving, I think. So I did just go through this process of trying to like get more clear on my own values, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote, I have this like draft little paragraph and I'll share it. And this is pretty <laughs> open because I haven't really shared this with people. Nice. And uh, it's a work in progress, but it goes, I live courageously in my heart, connected to myself, my family, and the universe. In harmony with my mind and spirit, I move my body as I flow with the river of unconditional love. I am aware and aware I am unaware and grateful for the experience to learn and share. My purpose is to grow, love, and live in my heart, expressing myself with a capital S, with integrity and curiosity. So I guess, you know, I think of when I started in inventory and I was, so I was 24 when that came out and I was just excited to share with people what I was excited about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where I'm at now, coming back to that, you know, it's like, this journey of healing, of learning, of experiencing individually and in connection with others and with nature, um, whatever the tools, running, breath work, meditating, listening to a podcast, you know, whatever way to inspire that, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> and so what does that look like this year? I'm figuring that out, you know, like, I really want to start doing more local workshop stuff and I'm, I'm working on planning a, like a mindful cycling retreat in the summer and, and kind of diving into that. Um, but I also still like product, you know, I, I can't deny that. Like that's still part of me. So, you know, I have a, I have a second collection with Rainy Champ coming out um, in February. So that's pretty exciting. And like, you know, I vividly remember, going to a Nike store in Vancouver and buying runners in tights and a shirt, having never run. And then I got into running and, you know, it's been, I've been running ever since. And so like product can inspire um, lifestyle change, like amazing experiences. So, you know, if I'm making product, trying to keep that at the core of that journey as well. But yeah, I think just, you know, trying to, find balance or like some sort of harmony with like this modern way of living, but also a return to the connection with, with our planet and with people on a really like open-hearted, healthy way. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So when you're old Ryan Williams, let's say you're 134 because you've been living this healthy life and taking your, your vitamins and stretching and doing breath work, what, what is your hope that your legacy is when you get to that final Shavasana? You know, I haven't really thought too much about that, 
Um, so it feels like a, a very interesting question, but I think like, you know, if somebody could, like if I'm imagining if I'm looking at somebody who's kind of reaching the end or at the end of their life, like what would be inspiring to me? And it's like, if they just like lived so true to themselves, you know, in, in service, in, in exploring and curiosity, you know, just always being a student, but also being, you know, somebody who's able to share wisdom and teaching, um, you know, pushing yourself. And, and I guess like for me, I'm like singing and dancing and playing music. It's so scary. And like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm just not there. Yeah. And like, if I can just like sing and dance and, um, you know, just be a positive influence energetically and then, and, and more tangibly, that would be great. You know, if people could look at me and be like, wow, he just like, he just was him, you know, like we, in my view, like we are in these bodies, right. And it's like a combination of this eternal soul with my parents DNA and the time that we're born into and then all the experiences we have and like in our hearts is like this kind of combination of that of this internal soul and this unique experience so like you know if Ryan Wilms could just be the fullest Ryan Wilms <laughs> he could be and and yeah just just expressing that whatever that means I don't know Oh, I love that a lot. I'm looking forward to following that journey for the next uh, 100 plus years because <laughs> yeah. modern wellness and science is going to keep us keep us running, doing triathlons. Um, Dina, do you have... I hope so. <laughs> I mean, that's another topic. Right? Modern science. What is that exactly? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess that's a subjective definition, right? could be it could be yeah. uh you know ayahuasca that could be your modern science <laughs> that's like ancient it's earth cool. science <laughs> bringing the ancient into the modern yeah it's a combination there because modern science obviously like can be incredible it's like magic as well i mean the same with like making the internet like how the hell did that happen it's insane <laughs> right like we're capable of such of beautiful, amazing things, but it's like bringing, it's remembering the magic and the curiosity and that we don't know anything. Mm -hmm. We just know a little bit and keep asking questions, keep exploring. Like we just, you know, as soon as we start to think that we know everything and that is the ultimate truth, like we're going to get in trouble. Oh yeah. Well, you said it in your, in your little like value statement there. I am aware and I am unaware, right? Like that is, that's it. Well, I love it. But uh, I do, I do have one more kind of curiosity, and it can be as as uh, you can go as broad or as as quick as you'd like. But uh, obviously, you're someone who's pursued athletics, and you know you're training hard now for or triathlon uh, for the seventy point three and all this. And what is like? What is the inspiration for you in these like kind of long form or you know some people might look at they'll be like that's terrible i would never do that like run that <laughs> that far train this much what's the inspiration for you or the motivation or the why behind these types of athletic pursuits 
Yeah, that's a good question. And you know, it's like, it's an evolving experience as well, because, you know, so much of this journey was inspired by this like physical crumbling, as I describe it, of my system, you know, and that still hasn't returned to um, optimal operation, let's say, you know, there's these energy blocks within me that I really struggle with daily. Yeah. And initially I thought, well, if I just like, you know, train for something like this, I'm just going to get really fit and feel the way that I want to. And over this last year, you know, crashing my bike and dealing with other injuries and realizing how shot my nervous system was, it was like, okay, that's, that doesn't really work. Um, so it's like, why am I doing this? And I think part of me wants to be able to learn how to push myself in a sustainable way. You know, so a lot of this like journey in the triathlon has been um, like listening to my heart, listening to my body and trusting that getting out of my mind. Like, so I wear like an aura ring. So, you know, modern science. And uh, if it's like your HRV is like terrible, you need to take a day off. It's like, okay. And this is what that feels like. So learning to be more attuned to what that feels like rather than just keep pushing and keep training and, and drive myself back into the ground. It's like, how can I be healthy sustainably? So my goal, although right now is, you know, under five hours at the 70.3 on April 2nd, it's more like, how could I do triathlon for 20 years? Like, how could I do something like that sustainably for a long time whether i do or not i don't know um and you know i also enjoy the solitude i enjoy alone time um i enjoy the running i enjoy the pushing you know dave scott who's like one of the first ironman triathletes ever basically he has this quote if you read like stories of him and he's just like i just want to go out there and see what i can do and i feel like for me there is part of that. It's like, you know, I have all this other stuff in life going on, but like, what can I do? And it's also really challenging to then look at professionals, see what they're doing and be like, Oh, I'm not doing nearly as like good as them, but they've been doing it for 20 years, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I've been doing it for 10 months. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's so much, dynamic into that that's like hard to give one clear answer i think i'm trying to see what i can do trying to do that in a healthy way and then i think ultimately you know you mentioned early on like the mindful athlete idea and i think with into the well like i didn't really want to get pegged as like mindful athlete because it feels like oh, okay he just meditates and goes on runs yeah and that felt like too one-dimensional yeah but I'm kind of like leaning into it actually more with what I think about going forward in these retreats, because I think with endurance sports specifically, like the, the human connection aspect, um, I think is so powerful. Like you, the way you bond and support one another and then to put on like the breath work and the sharing and the emotional piece is just like the potential for that is, is so enriching, I think. So there's that part of it. And then I think, you know, the consistency of putting yourself in a challenging position, I guess, you know, like 
being a warrior and that's part of the masculine archetype it's like i want to be a warrior i want to have that that strength to draw on you know and i feel like for me the triathlon is like it's a part of that like warrior training to some degree mm-hmm. and i can't say it's like 100 percent pure i'm sure there's some part of my unconscious that's like wanting that to prove something to somebody and be good enough to somebody there's no way that's not the case um so maybe I'll find that along the journey. <laughs> right. Well, one thing that I think you're, you're an example of is one of our central themes here is um, it's, how do we say it, you know, it's impossible until, until it's not. And I think like pursuing those uh, possibilities is where life is exciting. Like uh, when I started running, 5K seemed impossible until it wasn't. And then 10K seemed impossible until it wasn't. And then 15, 20, 30K seemed impossible until it wasn't. And I, I found just in my own personal experience, it kind of like bled into all other facets of my life. It just like took down these walls and these borders of what was and wasn't possible. And I started to like believe in myself in ways that I, I didn't know that I could. And that all started from like putting on my running shoes, getting a pair of shorts that I liked and discovering that I could, you know, take enough steps that would get me to 5k. And it just like, my minimize my, my minimizing self-belief started to evaporate as I did these like small, small things that had big, uh, big implications. So I, I think like you're a living example of a lot of that and like pursuing it, whether it's like, in your breath work or in your meditation, like I think you are not scared to go into areas that are challenging that people would be like, that's hard work. I don't want to do that. Um, and I think in doing those hard things, so much becomes possible. And and how you share it with Into the Well and your website, I think you kind of have this, this positive trail of, of showing others what's possible and giving others permission to to, you know, live their best life and, and, and following your example. So, um, I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, the challenges that you're taking on. I hope, I hope you keep, um, you know, setting that bar, uh, higher and higher and enjoying the, the process along the way, but in doing so showing all of us, you know, what is possible for the human experience. So, uh, yeah, thank you. I do want to just say, sorry to interject, but like, I am still scared. (laughs) Of course. course. Like, um, I think like you just, you laid it out so beautifully there. Um, you know, and it ties back into like talking about fear, you know, and it's like, the more we, we overcome those little fears, the more we trust ourselves. Right. And it's like, the more we show up for ourselves in these ways, that belief trust, self-love, you know, I was struggling with a meditation practice for a little bit. And the thing that made a shift for me was like, if I love myself, I would carve out 10 or 20 minutes to meditate. And it's like, then it made, it shifted from like this thing I had to do to showing myself every time I meditated that I love myself. And it's like that muscle grows. And it's like the same with, well, I can run 5k, I can run 10k and well, if I can run 10K, I can run a half marathon, right? And then it's like, if I can run a marathon, I can start a business. If yeah. I can run, you know, a $1 million business, I can do a $10 million business. <laughs> and it's just like, it really does feed everything if you let it. And, you know, I see working with this men's group, that can be like doing 20 push ups a day as well, because 
like that can make you feel stronger and that can make you feel stronger to go out and talk to a therapist or be honest with someone that you're scared to be honest with. And it's like, you know, again, it's like everything, there's nothing in isolation. Everything is connected uh, and, and allowing for that to flow from one thing to the other, from one experience to the other and just feed everything I think is, is so powerful. I love that. I love that, that uh, point you made about, uh, you know, 20 push-ups a day can give you the strength to talk to a therapist. <laughs> That's like just so beautiful and perfect. Yeah. You know, uh, we always, Ryan, we always um, wrap up with some random fire, some rapid fire, but didn't, uh, just wanted to ask you, do you have any other points or questions that you want to uh, explore before we, we get to that? I mean, there's always, there's always. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, maybe it's maybe it's time for random random rapid fire. Okay, cool. Uh, I've got a couple, and then you know I'm sure you have some. Ryan, um, some of them are like fun and light, and some of them are kind of. I was taking some notes while we're, we're chatting. Um, for those that don't know, can you just define hol- holotropic breathwork? Yeah, you know I'm not really going to do a great job of that. Stanislav. <laughs> <laughs> Groff, I think is his name. He kind of like started this. Um, but it's really just like a cyclical breathing that with no breaks in between. And so big, deep inhales, let it go. Not not forcing it out. Um, so just like kind of like Wim Hof, if people are familiar with that, but with no breath holds and you just keep going. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. That sounds cool. Um You've you've talked about uh, you know being a student and and being a constant reader and an audiobook listener, uh, and if you mentioned some books, uh, no bad, no bad parts, and um, Untethered Soul, and No More Mister Nice Guy. Are there any other books that like you find yourself gifting others regularly, or just like recommending people add to their their library? Well, okay, so for for just general health, um, Paul checks how to eat, move, and be healthy is just like the roadmap for you know holistic well being. I would say. Um, other than that, I, you know, it's hard to think of off the top of my head. But um, Born to Run by Christopher McDougall, I think, is just like one of the best books ever. Like, it's so entertaining. And the way he layers in like science and research with the story is just awesome. Like I love all of his books, but that one is still like just strikes me as just so fun. And when you're having fun, learning is so easy. <laughs> yes. I was rereading that one recently over the kind of like holiday haze of break. I was like, oh, just crack this one again. It's so yeah. Okay, so uh, there's no more travel restrictions and the world's normal again and we're allowed to travel and do live life as we wish. Um, what's on your bucket list for, for travel, whether that's like to do a triathlon or just to go enjoy, you know, somewhere in the world? Man, I miss, I miss British Columbia. Like, first thing I would do is come spend two months in the summer in BC, like on the island or... Sunshine Coast, something like that, you know, just that would be on the top of my list. I've also really wanted to like rent a little place in uh, one of this island in Italy called Pantelliera. 
and just like stay there for like a month and just have friends come in and out. And I just imagine myself like running on these roads and jumping in the ocean and, you know, eating olives. And those are like my two. <laughs> have an into the well run retreat in Italy and uh, dinner. Yeah. Sign us up. Let's go. Okay, you've talked a lot about um, ways that you've experienced growth and change. And I mean, we, I don't think we really touched on it here, but the word that kept coming up to me was like this idea of like leading with our own vulnerability. So just a uh, simple fill in the blank. What is, or vulnerability is to you, or what is vulnerability to you, or simply vulnerability is? Courage or courageous is the word that comes to me. I just think like being vulnerable is so powerful for ourselves. Um, and it, it heals others like crazy. And it takes courage to do it. Um, but it's beautiful. Right on. I love that. Uh, can you give us like the elevator pitch on your um, your cycling retreat? Because that's uh, another one I'm going to add to. Okay. All right. So it's a mindful cycling retreat. It's going to be in Marin, just north of San Francisco for four days. And um, we're going to do a combination of breath work and movement, long rides, lying in the grass, touching trees, uh, sharing circles, eating healthy food. Um, there's a yoga space and a pool. It's in the middle of the forest. And there might even be some special cycling kits provided for those who come. Oof. Do it for the swag. Do it for the swag. <laughs> yeah, it never hurts. I've, I've signed up for like uh, enough runs just for like a cool hat or something like that. So, <laughs> um, what's what's next for you know other than retreats and and uh, all that? Is there um, what's next for Into the Well? What is the evolution? Yeah, that's a big question. So, I do have a pretty ambitious like brand company vision that basically brings everything that I'm excited about into one canon, you know, and like the podcast and content, uh, workshops and retreats, product. Um, and so I'm just, I'm working on what that looks like, you know. Um, it feels like a big thing. It feels like I really, what I really want to do and need to do. And so I'm trying to figure out like, what can I do on a grassroots level to get this thing going? Um, and it's it, the, the challenge is like, okay, well, making shirts and shorts and then you sell those. That's a pretty normal business model. That makes sense. But yeah. how much of that do I really want to be doing? You know? Um, so finding some balance there between like experience, education, curiosity, connection, and product or tools that sort of inspire and support that experience. Mm. That's cool. What's uh, let's get right into the present. What's a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that's bringing you joy, like in these in these days that we're in right now? Yeah, I mean, getting on my road bike and riding into Griffith Park. It's like only a couple miles away, and this bike that I have now, I just love it. I just like it feels so good, and I feel so lucky. And the park is so close and it's just like no cars and 
the air is nice after some rain. That is just like so nice. Um, and the, honestly, this, this breathwork practice, the way it's evolved in, in recent, recently, like there's moments where it's a bit scary, but the, the feeling and healing and just really being in that moment in the, in my body and surrendering to it is, uh, when I can, when I can surrender is, it feels like such a gift. You know, I, I actually, I just feel so lucky that I've found this stuff because there's just so many people that never do. They never read any of these books or do breath work or get to experience psychedelics. And like, I've get, I got to, for whatever reason, like all this stuff came into my life. And I just feel so lucky that as a human being, I've gotten to experience this because it's just magical. That's so cool. Oh, that's great. Okay. One, one light one. Um, what are you watching on Netflix or, or Hulu or, or any of that? We don't have Hulu in Canada. So I'm always uh, Okay. I got a good story about this. So we, Natalie and I just finished watching the eighth season of Alone. I don't know if you guys know about that show. It's a survival show where they basically drop 10 people in like pure wilderness and they just survive as long as they can. Wow. <laughs> and the first couple of seasons are actually on Vancouver Island. And then they do one in like Patagonia and then Northern BC. And it's incredible. These people are, they make their shelters. They got to hunt. They got to get water. They got to make fire, do everything. And there's a there's one season, season seven, where it's not even whoever lasts the longest wins half a million. It's like if somebody makes a hundred days, they get a million dollars. And it is like insane. And so we were like pretty obsessed with this show. And like, I was like, all right, let's go camping. Like didn't check the weather, went out for one night of camping. It was pouring rain, literally like went home three hours later. Like, <laughs> Stopped the Erwan and got dinner. It's like so embarrassing. Um, and uh, it was hilarious. <laughs> that's so funny. I love the stopped at Erwan part. That's like, yeah. that's amazing. like, so when people leave the show, they tap. And so I was like, fuck, we got to tap. We're tapping out. <laughs> yeah. okay, one more kind of fun one. You're, you're a brand guy, you're a product guy. Um, and what brands are lighting you up? What are some brands that you want to give shout outs to that are like fusing like um, consciousness and capitalism in a way that excites you? You know, it's hard to know behind the scenes what brands are really doing. Right. So I can't necessarily like go in full cosign. Um, yeah. And like, I really like bounce around with footwear for running. You know, I've probably, I don't even know how many runners I've had over the years. And it was like, oh, this brand or this brand, like a niche alternative brand. But like Nike just make the best runners and I love them. And yeah. I've just like had to make peace with that. And maybe they do some good things and some terrible things, but Nike runners are the best. Um, and for cycling, like I love Rafa, you know, we're starting to work on a project together and I just feel so excited about that. But like, I feel like their stuff is just the best quality. You know, it's it's not cheap, but it's not insane either. Um, but, and I just really like it. It makes me happy to like get on my bike and go for a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's probably other stuff too. I don't know. Like Satisfy Running. Like I think their gear is like really sick. Uh, it's so expensive. And um, so it's tough. 
but I think they're pretty responsible. You know, they, they'll like re-release stuff with different prints. And so they're not wasting a lot of goods. And I think realistically for brands, like that's one of the more responsible things you can do is just don't waste anything, you know, uh, re-dye it, reprint it, um, stuff like that. But their stuff is super nice. Yeah. And we're, we're fanboys of Satisfied for sure. Listen to your episodes with uh, Bryce Patouche as well. Oh, yeah. Very inspiring guy. Yeah, All right, Dina, you got any more before we uh, close it out? Land it, man. Okay, take us home, Dina. Well, we, we always end the pod with this question, Ryan. You know, we've named, named our podcast a little more good with the intention of like, that's what we want to do and create and see in the world. But we're always curious to know and ask our guests, what does, what does that mean to you? a little more good? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I guess on the, like, on the personal level, it's like that 1% each day, just doing, being a little bit better, being a little bit more compassionate. Um, and then also, you know, something that's come up with this whole COVID process is like this kind of theme that's been shared of like doing your part and it's like, well, what can I do? You know, I think at some point, anybody, most people want to serve, you know, they want to help. And so, you know, I'm trying to figure that out. And, and right now I'm, I'm leading this men's group, um, you know, just like showing up as best as I can for that. And um, I've been doing one-on-one holistic life coaching and um, I've been meaning to make a little announcement on my Instagram to that I want to like offer that to somebody for free for a quarter um and do that all year so do like three or four people that maybe can't afford that sort of service but you know just show up and support people um and the world i think like i know the world is in a bad place climate wise environment wise and i know i'm not doing good enough on that front and i find it's like i don't necessarily know what to do and also goes back to that, like, if I really do want change, I'm going to have to sacrifice something, you know, like if I want to be better, I need to stop ordering from Amazon all the time as one example, but I'm like still doing it. So figuring out what I can sacrifice for, for the betterment of the planet and, and other humans, you know, is ultimately a little more good and a lot more good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 1% a day, if all of us are doing that, that's, that's huge, right? It's a little, yeah. a lot. Yeah. Good. That's good, man. Well, thanks Ryan. It was, it was so awesome to connect. Um, you know, I look forward to connecting in, in person uh, and yeah. hopefully the near future, either in California or BC. And, you know, until then we'll keep following uh, your journey online and um, yeah, just wanted to pass gratitude uh, you know, you inspire both Dean and I and, and a lot of other people through through what you're doing with Into the Well and, and your own journey. So, uh, you know, keep walking the path and, uh, you know, we'll keep following uh, the, good, the, good, uh, the good walk that you're on. So, so thank you. And uh, thanks for your time today. Um, it's, it's good to, to connect, even if it's through a, through a screen these days, you know? Yeah. Uh, thank you as well. I mean, thanks so much for saying that and for having me on. But... You guys too, you know, you're doing awesome work and, um, you know, yeah, even with the juice track, you know, it's just like, that is like providing a lot of people with a lot of good stuff every day. And, you know, I, 
I enjoyed my time uh, with that experience and hopefully I'll be back up there to go for a ride and lie in the grass and drink a smoothie with you guys sooner than later. Absolutely. I can still, I, I feel like you're a Trimerica and I was, you were like one of our daily, you're probably yeah. one of our top daily customers when you were, uh, when you were uh, yeah. back to <laughs> Tonic and uh, what else did you get? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I don't know. Like there was some bar that you guys were making that I would get a lot uh, too. It was like a smoothie in a bar that was like my lunch, my go-to good. lunch. That was a go-to. And then you know, I got into like the acai bowls and like, I'm obsessed with the smooth making smoothie bowls. So like, that's what I make like 90% of the time for myself for lunch, but I'll never remember, forget going to the juice truck shop. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he was bragging about how good of a like acai bowl he made. Yeah. Like, he's like, I make the best ones are so bomb. Yeah. And then like, he gave it to us, me and Owen from inventory, and it was just he didn't take it out of the plastic case. So there's just plastic plastic shreds in the whole bowl. Oh my god. It was just the funniest thing ever. And uh <laughs> it was the only time that ever happened. Uh he just took care of me after that. But uh yeah, it was I just thought it was the funniest thing. That's so funny. I wonder who that was. Well, I'll have to get your address and send you uh you know, just like that guy was saying, he makes the best best smoothie bowls. I think our granola is pretty pretty darn good. So I'll have to send you some Thanks. of our bestie granola so you can uh, throw it in your smoothie bowls at home. So I'll yeah. get your address from you later. All right. Sounds great. All right. Thanks so much, Ryan. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. All right. All right. Ryan Wilms. What did yeah. you think, Dina? I was good. It was so fun. I, you know, I really wish that... Uh, or I look forward to the chance to just like do that conversation like that just in person and 100%. you know Zoom is so wonderful because we can connect where normally we wouldn't be able to with people that are doing awesome stuff on different in different parts of the world and yes uh, so I'm grateful but it's just it, it's so nice and even our like little conversation kind of after the fact it was just like so good I'm like man I wish we could just be hanging out I know or like better yet going for a run you that's probably what I'm actually for pining for. It's like, I just want to go for a run. Come come, ho- come home to Vancouver, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, or you know what? I, I'm okay going down. We can visit you. But come hang out with us in Steveston. Let's yeah. go for a run, buddy. Yeah, no, it's so good. Um, I mean, just covered, covered a ton of ground in that, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. And um, yeah, I don't know. Some of the things that just resonated are like the awareness, the paying attention, the little things letting go of some of the, you know, the measurable points in our lives Mm -hmm. that we stress out over or we can, you know, really become keenly focused on in in a way that moves from it being something that serves us to almost like it's not. We need to Mm -hmm. let go of that and let go of the power it has. What do you need to let go of right now, Dean? Anything? Oh, man. Well, I mean, in kind of keeping with our conversation and, you know, conversations that we've had is like, tracking data mm. of like fitness i love when he said your watch might not die yes but your body still knows your body's still keeping that keeping score it's, yeah yeah and of course right of course and even like my brothers bugged me before he's like man what do people do before like running watches and all this stuff like yeah. you would just have to go for a run ah, for, <laughs> for you like, yeah, for nobody else yeah right and in some ways it's like yeah, that's probably what we need 
but we're so data driven and competitive and fickle, right? Or at least I am. And so, yeah, that's probably something I need to learn to, you know, run without the tech. Well, should we go for a run and not record it, Dean? Oh, scandalous. <laughs> How does that make you feel? It makes me feel scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel like I would still record it, but I would just make it not public. Yeah. But then it's like, you know, know, it's a funny thing. I'm addicted to Strava, so it makes me uncomfortable thinking about going yeah. for a run. Which probably that. says a lot about us oh, as people God. and runners. Like, why are we actually doing it? But anyway, all of that is like those those kind of moments in the conversation where, you know, it's a it's a word or a phrase or a little bit, and but that's where the coaching side of I think who Ryan is like shines through. Right, he gives you things to think on and for someone they might grab onto this element or that element and it will really like cause them to it's like holding up a mirror and you're looking at yourself in maybe a new way being like oh yeah okay what is this is this serving me or is this something that i could probably hold a little more loosely so yeah i really really liked that what a cool coach ryan would be too like he's like business savvy yeah he's run multiple businesses yes he's like tuned in to the spiritual path he's tuned into the physical path like he's got the mind body soul business kind of yeah well in a different approach right like he's a creative yes person creative director yes brands right and then bringing kind of that approach too, like or that that side of himself into it yeah it's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, mind, body, soul, and beyond, really. All right. Well, I hope you guys all enjoyed that podcast as much as we enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. If you want to check out Ryan, uh, R underscore Wilms on Instagram, of course, uh, Into the Well podcast, or all things Ryan Wilms, just go to ryanwilms.com. Yep. And uh, read into the well.com for his. Uh, podcast and journal and and shop and definitely check out Raining Champ for his uh, latest collection. I know it's a limited uh, capsule, so I'm sure it will sell out. Um, I personally love the hoodie. I'm wearing it right now. Uh, that's a non, non-sponsored non plug. I just really love it. <laughs> yeah. I was telling Dean that he needs to get one too. Uh, so check out that collection. It's super cool. Uh, not going to regret it. Right on. And as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Um, yeah, thanks for the support. As always, uh, if you haven't subscribed so you don't miss an episode, feel free to leave us a review, comment, send us a message on our Instagram. we got Twitter now too. We're on the we're tw- Twitter. We're tweeting. Man, it's official. Zach, That's- you might see some sweet lists from Zach, <laughs> just random lists of things, which is yeah. great. Yeah. Maybe books, maybe albums. Maybe groceries. Yeah. I got to go shopping, man. <laughs> Where did I put that list? Yeah, it's on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. But anyway, appreciate you all. Give us, give us a follow, uh, any of that kind of stuff. We'd love to hear from you. So message us and let's chat. All right. We'll see you all next week. Same time, same place. Peace. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.